Welcome to Ask the Therapist, a monthly podcast for everyone who's interested in how our minds work, building resilience through journaling and all things therapy. I'm your host, Sarah Rees, a mental health nurse and CBT therapist with over 20 years of experience in the field of mental health. Hello and welcome to Ask the Therapist. It's lovely to have you here. I'm sharing with you today an episode where I was interviewed on another podcast called Unbottled by the lovely Mike Wells. He reached out to me on Instagram and I had a look at his stuff and I was just, I just thought he's doing some great work. He's putting some great stuff out there in the world and I thought I will go on his podcast and it's proven so popular because I think what we're talking about is a really popular topic. His podcast, Unbottled, do go over and have a listen, is where he shares open and honest conversations about mental health, mental health struggles, the things that we have to face and deal with every day. Unbottled aims to shine a light on the things that we keep bottled up. And alongside those stories, he's having guests and experts on sharing their experiences and expertise. So he's really doing some brilliant work for reducing stigma and raising awareness. So we all have to support that. And he's a really good interviewer as well. I learned some skills and he markets so well. He did a brilliant job of getting the message out there. So in the episode, we talk about cognitive behavioural therapy. And I did a podcast a while ago, podcast episode on what is CBT therapy. And it's actually one of the most popular episodes I did because I think people want to get to the heart of what therapies are and how they can help us. So we're talking about CBT, what it is, how it can help. I'm also talking about compassion focused therapy and journaling as well. So lots of my favourite things. During the interview with Mike, we explore the history of CBT, some of the key principles and techniques and how it can be applied to people who are struggling with anxiety or depression and other mental health struggles. And we discuss some of the latest innovations in CBT, including the use of technology and the use of virtual therapy sessions. So I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. And we'd love to know your feedback. So do let us know. Mike has a really great Instagram feed and I'm over there on Instagram as well on saradreese.co.uk. So sit back, relax and enjoy the show. What is compassion focused therapy? I've never heard of that before. Have you never heard of it? So it's a, quite a reasonably new therapy. So Professor Paul Gilbert is somebody you definitely should look up. I've done a podcast with him. So he's an okay. amazing inspiring guy so professor paul gilbert he's written a really good book is that he's written is called mindful compassion that's kind of one of his easiest texts to kind of get into him with but he was um a psychologist and then he was a cbt therapist and he became really interested like cbt is great and it has really good results so you know about 70 percent of people that i see will will kind of be completely recovered so you then become interested on what's going on for those people where CBT isn't really working, what Paul Gilbert became interested in. Why do some people not get better? Why can, you know, we've got all the research, we know it works. And he did the research into that. And what he found is that we can help people change the way they think, but if they're being harsh and critical to themselves, they have a lot of shame, a really big inner self-critic, 
then they don't do so well. So it's, it makes you a lot more vulnerable to having anxiety and depression, but it also means you might change the way you think, but you're beating yourself up all, all the time. It's as bad as having yeah, a book okay. walking through life at the side of you. So he thought, right, how do we kind of work with this? Um, and started looking into kind of compassion and the, the, there's two psychologies of compassion. One is turning towards difficulty and the second is then working to alleviate the difficulty so turning towards difficulty and then the second psychology is through strength and wisdom working to alleviate difficulties so um he's kind of it's kind of like when you train as cbt therapist you think oh my god i i'm gonna kind of it's gonna be amazing i'm gonna be able to yeah to so many people and then you get really frustrated when you're like why is it not working so then lots of cbt therapists train in compassion focused therapy it's a bit of a slower therapy looking more at the past and how kind of your experiences have influenced your beliefs your fears and the way you operate in the world so it's a really good kind yeah, okay. of add-on to cbt i'm with you i'm with you sounds like there'd be a lot of sort of like Forgiveness maybe to yourself for things that you've done in the past, forgiveness maybe to other people for experiences that they've put on your life in the past and things like that. At completely, yeah, you've hit the nail on mm. the head. Yeah, it's a lot of kind of settling that stuff down because life's hard, you know, and the world yeah. that we live in really hard. We have really tricky brains and a lot of that stuff's not our fault, but, you know, we need to kind of work with it. So leading on from that then, the main sort of focus that I wanted this episode to be on was obviously like CBT. You know, I really want to sort of like break down what it is, how it can help people and all that sort of stuff. So why don't you tell me and the listeners sort of what CBT is and how it differs from maybe some other different forms of therapy? Okay, so cognitive behavioural therapy is, it was developed by Aaron Beck in I think the 60s. Um, and it's, it's behavioural therapy initially started so it's kind of like two therapies that have been brought to, together. So behavioral therapy is we, when we look at what we're doing and is that helpful for us or not? Like if I'm scared of going into a shop, so I avoid a shop, so I never actually get used to it. So we, we would look at helping somebody shift their behavior and slowly and gradually work towards getting used to going in the shop again, for example. Mm. And then they brought in kind of the cognitive aspect, which is kind of helping people work with the way they think. So if I think shops are dangerous or if I have the thought I'm going to get knocked over every time I cross the road, eventually I'd be scared of crossing the road. So mm -hmm, then mm -hmm. that kind of element came into it. So there's two parts, cognitive and behaviourable. So how we think and what we do. And the basic premises is that the way we think about things and our thoughts impact how we feel and then what we do. And that creates the worlds that we live in. So in CBT is a psychotherapy. It's very practical and it's very goal focused. And a lot of it, I mean, I think there's a, mis a couple of misconceptions that we just work in the here and now. And I think if you mm. can, we do, but actually things that have happened to people in people's lives in the past are really important to work through as well. So they're definitely not ignored. And it's not just helping people think positively, you know, change negative thoughts. It's a lot more than that. So there are a couple of the myths, but it's 
as a CBT therapist, when somebody comes to me, we do a few sessions of assessment, which is kind of just getting a really good overview of why you've come to therapy, what you want to get out of therapy. And as you talk through what's brought you to the sessions, I'm always thinking about what your thoughts are, what beliefs you hold, how you, you're feeling in your body, how the thoughts might connect to the feelings and then how you operate. And then I kind of reflect that back to you. So we develop um, what's called a formulation, which is a shared understanding of the patterns you're in. So it's all about patterns. Map out those patterns of thoughts, feelings and behaviours. And then we put in ways to make those work better for you. So if you have a thought that's really unhelpful or a belief, it, often we have beliefs and thoughts and we're not really aware of them. Lots of people don't have awareness of mind. So in therapy, it's about bringing those up. And it differs. One of the ways, I mean, I'm obviously not an expert in lots of different therapies, but um, one of the main things that people tell me how it's different from other therapies is that as a therapist, we're a lot more chatty and bossy. Not bossy, but like we're working together. <laughs> we're working yeah, I'm with together. you, I'm with you. You know, so the, the CBT therapist is an expert in kind of, we've been trained in all the anxiety and mood disorders. So there's a lot of psychoeducation as well. So I'd want mm -hmm. to get across to a, lot of, a bit of neuroscience and stuff, which so that, that educational element's different. And the person coming for therapy is an expert in their experience. So it's very collaborative. You're bringing those two expert knowledges together and figuring it out together. So you really, so it's, I'm not just sat there kind of going, yes, how do you feel? Of course. Like, a lot more active. Of course. Mm. I'm with you. I'm with you. Sounds like, because obviously we are, like you say, we're creatures of habit, you know? Yeah. So if someone, if someone spent 15 years, you know, the example you gave, maybe they're, um, they're terrified of going into a shop. Mm. Um, I can imagine the longer that habit, the deeper that habit has been ingrained, the tougher that can maybe be to unpack and reframe. Yeah. Yeah, it is, but it's absolutely achievable. But it is, yeah. Mm. yeah. With you, so, I'm with you. So, the focused element of that would be kind of starting to develop a compassionate narrative of why that is, why that makes sense for you to be scared of going into the shop, really. And then the CBT is the, the setting the goals of where you want to get to, and then working out um, to a way to reprogram the brain. So how can we teach your brain mm -hmm. that going into shop is not scary? And that needs to be gradual. Um, unfortunately, we learn fear a lot quicker than we learn safety. So it's a lot easier to get scared of stuff than it is to feel safe. Our brains are constantly evolving. So yeah. constantly change and evolve. Is, is that like an evolutionary thing? Like we're more yeah. prone to fear because it's like, you know, survival instinct kicking yeah. in and that sort of stuff we're ultimately we're built for survival yeah, yeah. So kind of threat trumps everything yeah. yeah but like you say like what what once might have been maybe like a saber-toothed tiger fear of like a rustling bush in a jungle it is now like you say being translated to modern day where maybe that's fear of public speaking or you know it could be anything completely so, can you give me some more examples of how, like, say if someone was, like, rife with anxiety, it's taken over their life, they'll come to you and they'll say, look, I want to unpack this with CBT. Like, can you give me an example of maybe what that process looks like? Okay, there's so many kind of different anxieties. 
See, we're, we're trained in all the different anxiety disorders. So CBT has kind of looked at people with social anxiety and really done loads of research. And then we, CBT therapists, have a protocol to work with social anxiety, agoraphobia, people who struggle leaving the house, or panic attacks, or general okay. phobias. There's kind of like a different protocol for each one. But generally, we do an assessment about three sessions of really kind of understanding the anxiety the person's experiencing, and then do some initial kind of basic psychoeducation about what anxiety is, how it plays out in the body. I do, because of the CFT training, I suppose a little bit of understanding about neuroscience, how our brains work and how we're wired, you know, so mm. really build in. It's not our fault. It's understandable and the compassionate understanding of that. And then you would be thinking with the person whether um, we need to work behaviourally or with the thoughts. So, you know, if you were scared of snakes, for example, we would kind of work a bit, maybe a bit more behaviorally. And some people say who are scared of have a phobia, can't even say the word snake if it was snakes. So we'd get them wow. to say it and then drawing it and then working with plastic snakes and maybe up all the way up to real snakes, depending on yeah, okay. Or we'd kind of look at kind of, it might be that the thoughts are most problematic. Often there's lots of things to do in between sessions, like, I'm a really big advocate for journaling. I've on my website, I've created something called the CBT journal. And the reason for yeah, that okay. in the first and um, few sessions of therapy is that my key goal is to help people get awareness of their mind. And that's what you love, what we do in therapy. But you can do that in journaling as well. And that's why it's become one of the, like, the high performance habits of people that lots of people have a morning routine and they journal because what you do is you start to kind of see your mind yeah you get more aware of those thoughts that are unhelpful and then what we want to get you to do is stand at the side of those thoughts so learn that thoughts are not facts thoughts don't mean anything you know yeah, yeah. Seventy thousand thoughts a day we don't need to attend to every single one once you have awareness of mind, you then have choice over your mind. You can then start to think, how is that thought serving me? How's it helping me? And you can start helping people reframe it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So with, for example, something like social anxiety, mm. like obviously that kind of stems from like fear of judgment and things like that. Yeah. So, you know, would you begin unpacking maybe why that root belief is in that person? Yeah, you want to get the best, the quickest possible out, kind of the person to the, where they want to be as quickly as possible. But some people come and they go, I want to know why. They, and that is really, mm. really important. And some people don't care. And like, I just need to be able to go to the pub and, and that. And yeah. so, you know, it's, it's always working with the person. In, when I supervise therapists, we we're always talking about you need to think with, not for. You know, so you need to think with mm. the person, what do they need? Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. So I wanted to ask you that you mentioned then about, like, you know, with the journaling and like sort of unpacking these conscious sort of beliefs and thoughts, like, just out of curiosity, what do you think some of the most common thoughts are that we may be not very conscious of that are sort of just governing our lives on a day-to-day -day basis? 
biggest thing, and that's why I've done the training in compassion focused therapy, is um, the critic. We're constantly undermining ourselves. I don't deserve. I'm not good enough. Doing kind of mind reading. So going out thinking they're thinking this about me when you have absolutely no idea. That kind of stuff. But being critical is the yeah. thing. You know, I, I am almost surprised if I say somebody, you know, how do you talk to yourself? What's the environment of your mind like? How do you support yourself when things go wrong? You know, if they say, oh, great, I kind of give my, you know, I'm really my own cheerleader. I'm like, what's mm. going on? <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, with you, with you. I mean, why Why do you think that is? Like, do you think it's, you know, I, I would suggest maybe, you know, social media probably doesn't help at all. This constant, no. you know, comparison with other people. Maybe this, you know, pressure to achieve so much, maybe. I think we're, um, you know? it, it comes from kind of evolutionary psychology in that we are hierarchical species. You know, millions of years ago, we were meant to live in tribes of about 150 people. Whereas the mm. thing with social media is now we live in, a, we have the opinions of 150 million people just on our phone. And we, sh we were never meant to live in that kind of world. And that is very overwhelming. So you're meant to live in very small tribes. And if you're unwell or, you know, you were vulnerable, you could get kicked out of the tribe, kicked off by predators. So there is a, there's a huge importance. Everybody, who, however confident they seem, we all have an innate need to be liked, to want yeah. to be part of the community, not to be kicked out. We want to know our place in the hierarchy. I'm better than you. You're better than me. Where do I fit? It's evolutionary. It's, it's part of our survival. It's really, really important. So what our minds are shaped like that. And I think sometimes self-critic, one of the, you know, one of the things when you're working with self-criticism is thinking about the function of self-criticism. How is it serving you? And people are generally trying to correct themselves or protect themselves. And sometimes it is just okay. sabotaging, but, you know, it's, it's has no function. It's just very detrimental. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you. So if, like if to the person that's listening to this now, who maybe is very aware that they're very sort of self-critical self, you know, they're self-sabotage and stuff. What is kind of some general tips you could give them to maybe start being a bit more compassionate to themselves? Would it be sort of journaling things that they're grateful for about their life? About I themselves? Think you need to get to know the self-critic a little bit. So you need to kind mm. of think, why am I doing this? How is it serving me? And how do I want to cultivate my mind? You know, how do I want to support myself? When think we all do make mistakes, that's part of being human. So when I make mistakes or I say something really inappropriate, or really wrong, or, you know, how am I going to support myself at those yeah. times? Another, a really useful thing that people um, use is, I get them to say, what would you say to a friend? So if you had a best friend in this situation or somebody you really cared for, mm. and um, what would you say to them? Often we're really good at, we have the wisdom and the knowledge to give other people really great advice, but we do not give that advice to us. Now, if we did, we'd all be finding yeah. the world a lot easier to live in. So it's using the wisdom and knowledge that you already have and redirecting it to yourself. Yeah. Okay, I'm with you. That makes perfect sense. So how can how can someone know if CBT is, is right for them? It's tricky, isn't it? 
because there's so many yeah. therapies out there now i think there's also lots of blogs and stuff that you can read about you know i have um a lots a number of blogs on what is cbt and stuff like that and i think there's lots of that information out there so you can do google searches on kind of different types of therapy often people want cbt when they want strategies and they want to understand their minds very well often they're recommended they go to their gp first and a gp will say kind of maybe it's cbt that you need cbt cognitive behavioral therapy is very good for depression and for anxiety ocd and trauma that's where it's got its evidence base it's really good for stuff like that but what we know that's even bigger than CBT is that it doesn't almost matter sometimes what the therapeutic treatment is or how the therapist is trained. It's your connection with the therapist. So if you go and have a, th a therapy session and you think, I didn't get them or they didn't get me, you don't have that connection. I mean, sometimes that could be a block in that you're, you know, you don't mm. want to be vulnerable. So you have to kind of weigh that up a little bit, but you really have to have a lot of belief in the person that you work with can get you to where you want to be. And if you believe and trust in their skills and knowledge, you know, and you kind of feel an alliance with them, then that has the best outcomes for yeah. people. We, we know that. So, and so that's what about social media is that we can put ourselves out there a little bit now. So, you know, you go to my website, you can learn an awful lot about me and read my blog mm. posts in my podcast and you'll kind of really get a sense of you know a lot of the clients that I see really want to work with me and they kind of feel like they know me by the time they kind of sit in front of me and that's yeah I've done a lot of the work out of curiosity do you prefer doing like face-to-face -face therapy sessions or through sort of like zoom I was like I was so when the pandemic hit <laughs> I, did, I had a couple of clients that I worked with that one was for childcare reasons, we went on to Zoom and another, had, you know, they've moved away and they want to carry on. So we'd established that relationship and then they've moved away or they'd um, had a family and couldn't get into the office. Um, but when we went online, I was like, I hate it. It's going to be rubbish. And I ended up actually writing, I did a book chapter on delivering digital um, CBT and I decided to look at the research for it. And um, the research mm. says it's just as effective. It, there's no difference. So okay, it's, okay, okay. that's good to know. I do a mixture and I'd say I'm pretty much half and half now. And um, I, I do like being in the room. I still, I'm one of the only, yeah. lots of people gave up their therapy room. I still have mine um, yeah. and I'm not gonna let it go anytime soon. I really like being in the room with, with somebody but um i think you know i love the fact that the online world has opened up therapy to lots of more people that couldn't have got to therapy sessions yeah. you know these yeah. or or anxieties as well i've had some people that can't get to their gp or can't get to appointments with anxiety that they can do online oh, really? Yeah, so it's made it more accessible. So and and younger people, like any apprehensions I have, younger people, it's just how they operate. Really, that's interesting. See, I I, I would love, um, you know, if I was going to go into therapy, I wouldn't settle. For, like, I'd, I'd want the face to face. Because like, like you just said, I feel like that that connection to me is so important. I just feel like I struggle to get that through a screen, but I guess it's it's each to their own, you know. 
Yeah. yeah. And sometimes um, I work with people that live abroad and sometimes if they come to the UK, we try and kind of catch up face to face. It's nice. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you. So what about with medication? So how can CBT sort of work in conjunction with someone that might be on medication for anxiety, for example? I think for the treatment of depression, the the NICE guidelines, which are set out by the government of best practice of how we treat certain conditions, is that you should try talking therapies first, then CBT, and then medication with CBT. And we know for depression, generally, if somebody's got quite a, a moderate depression, it's CBT and medication work have the best outcomes. I think there's certainly, I mean, my background is as is, is a nurse, so I have a medical background. Um, and I suppose that that's what pushed me into psychology was I, I was working with lots of people that had lots of side effects of medication and, you know, and I thought there has to be something else, but medication is transforming as well, you know. With CBT, for example, if somebody's got anxiety and they start a mild antidepressant or a beta blocker to calm the anxiety down, it then means that they can engage in the CBT and the behavioral experiments and start working towards their goal. And then you can reduce the medication and then carry on. So it enables CBT. But, you know, yeah. everybody's, we're all completely different. So it, it's a little bit of trial and error. It's, you know. Yeah. On an individual basis and talking with your GP, but it certainly has a place and medication is very effective. And how kind of does CBT sort of like address underlying issues that might be knocking around in the brain versus sort of like a temporary relief for those issues? I think when the the ultimate aim for a CBT therapist is to work with somebody and, and they... and eventually become their own CBT therapist. So that is yeah, the aim okay. that you work with people to get them to a point where they do it themselves in their own mind. And a good example of this is with OCD that when somebody comes on average, although I'm seeing people coming sooner now, it used to be, I think, I think I'm a little bit outdated. It used to be that somebody with OCD would have had OCD 20 years before they have the first therapy session. And my job in that situation is to really kind of help them understand OCD in a way that if ever it comes back, then they know how to treat themselves. So you're learning life skills. You're learning to, in a way, you can't unlearn CBT. You're learning how to change the way you think, the patterns of your mind, and you, it's a behavioral thing as well. So you change the way your lifestyle and the way you live. And hopefully incorporate lots of practical strategies day to day that that just keep your mind healthy. Like I'm a big advocate for mindfulness and there's compassionate mind training exercises and stuff. So people just begin to recognise, you know, when you might be struggling and kind of do more yeah. of it would help you. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm interested to hear more about that compassionate mindfulness yeah exercises so what what does that look like um compassionate mind training so that we know that if if i'm angry or anxious that will organize how i think my mind so if i go so i'm going for a job interview and i'm really really anxious i'm gonna you know that is organizing my thinking and my mind isn't it so when i calm my physiology down when i calm my body down it that that organizes my mind we know that when we're calm we broaden out how we think 
So when we're compassionate, it kind of warms up mindfulness. So mindfulness is it is the ability to keep your mind just in the moment, to not think ahead of yourself or in the past, you're just in this moment, which with our busy minds, they find that tricky to do. And then the compassionate mm -hmm. exercises, they kind of um, trigger the kind of the soothing part of our brain. And if we imagine somebody being kind to us or us being kind to ourselves, or me, if I imagine me at the, the best version of me, I'm triggering different neurological experiences in my brain. If you just imagine for a moment eating a lemon, okay? Can you feel that physiology? Straight away, starting to sell it. Yeah, yeah, straight away, yeah. Awful, isn't it? So if I yeah. then get you to imagine eating your favorite meal, that tr it's triggering a different set of physiology, it's isn't crazy. it? Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. So that's compassionate mind training is kind of, that's part of it, using a lot of imagination stuff. We can really have a big influence on our mind and our thoughts and how we operate in our world. But you have to notice when I'm in a threat system, when I'm in the soothing system, which mode am I in? And the ability to state shift and move into different modes and those different modes organize our mind differently. Yeah. It, it can be so hard though when like you're in the grip of say like an anxious episode to actually even realize oh my god actually i'm i'm talking myself into this here yes. you know which i guess is, is where like journaling would come in really wouldn't it it's just like well, brain what dumping journaling everything. does is it engages you need to think about your brain in two separate parts that you've got the limb your emotional brain the limbic system your emotional brain then you've got your prefrontal cortex the rational thinking part of your brain the limbic system your emotional part of your brain is there for, you know for your survival it it's really really powerful so when we're really anxious it's almost like giving yourself a frontal prefrontal lobotomy that you're not thinking okay. you know your anxiety is driving your thoughts and when you start to journal you're having to engage your prefrontal cortex that logical thinking part of your brain so when yeah, you're writing okay. down, you're engaging a different part of your brain and also we know um one of the reasons why lots of people say, oh, I, I didn't do any writing or I didn't write it down in between the CBT sessions. But one of the reasons that we really want you to write it down is because you see it differently. It gives you that distance between your thoughts. And when you get a different perspective, then you can change it. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like reframing it really as well and saying like, you know, I've, I've had experiences in the past where like, I'll write something down after mulling it over for an hour in my brain and then I'll be like, am I, am I actually worried about this? Like now, now that I've physically seen it on a piece of paper in front of me Loses and then it. you gain that sort of, you gain that clarity and you think, yeah, okay, this yeah. isn't as much of a big deal as I'm sort of making out. Angry or anxious or, you know, if you're anxious, you're just going to have anxious thoughts. You think you're way into it, right? You're never going to think your way out of it. And if you're angry, we're just more angry. You're never going to think your way out of it. You've got to calm body, calm mind. That's why you, it's better to work with your physiology sometimes than try and think your way out of it. Our minds are tricky. Mm -hmm. It is, it is. So calming the body, what does that look like? Deep breaths, focusing on the breath? Often it's kind of more rhythmic breathing. I think with anxiety mm. and panic attacks, 
what your body is doing is taking in a lot more oxygen. So you, you naturally deep breathe, you take in more oxygen. That can sometimes make people feel dizzy and um, a little bit dissociated or add to the panic um, because you're messing with your your kind of gases. So so lots of people say somebody's anxious, take a few deep breaths. That can actually make you feel a little bit more anxious and a bit like, ooh. Yeah. If you try and just slow your breathing down, and rhythmic breathing's really good, you know. So you're trying to calm your physiology down. You're trying to come out of your head and I'd be focusing on my body. So real, I'm focusing on my breath, but just not doing too much with my breath, just listening to the rhythm of my breathing. There's an amazing TED talk by Dr. Alan Watkins. It's called mm -hmm. Being Brilliant Every Day. It's in part one and part two. He's done a lot of work with the Compassionate Mind Foundation and um, watch that. He he does a really good experiment where he um, he wires somebody up to a heart rate monitor that says they're really good at doing maths. He stresses them out and they can't do maths. And so you you see somebody's prefrontal cortex go offline. And then he gets them to focus on their heart and kind of do rhythmic breathing. And, and I think there is something about, uh, we know if you focus on your heart when you're slowing your breath down, calms you down even faster. It calms your heart rate down. Really? Yeah, I don't know how that works, but he does okay. that person you see their heart rate come down and then they can do the maths test so you see their brain come back on board and i just think you know if i say to um people in clinic i want you to do some breathing exercise and stuff they're like oh here we go hippy trippy but i think when you yeah. see the science and you can't ignore it you know we need to understand yeah. the science behind it so watch that ted talk pop, pop it in the show notes because it's brilliant 100 percent, 100 percent. so just kind of on the back of that, what do you think about, you know, sort of like affirmations? So like, I've had people on the podcast before who, you know, weren't in a great place at all. And every morning, you know, he said he'd wake up, write down 10 things about himself, you know, I'm loved, I'm confident, and he'd just drill this into his brain every mm -hmm. single day. So like, you know, the whole theory of like, the brain doesn't know that it's being lied to. Yeah. Um. Like if, if you're drilling these things into your mind every day, like is that is that ever something that you've sort of, you know, guided your what patients to do? Or? What did he think about it? Did he think it worked? Well, yeah, so he he was doing that. So that was something his therapist recommended to him, mm. um, that in conjunction with some uh, medication for his depression. He was, he was in a really dark place, very depressed, and um, didn't like much about himself at all. And like I said, he, he, he vouched to wake up every day. He'd write down 10 things in the morning and 10 things at night. Um, kind of about, you know, things that he's grateful for in his life. And also this future version of him, you know, I am confident. I am loved. You've got to come back to, especially with depression. Um, depression is like wearing dark glasses that's tinged with negativity. So I see myself, my future, my world as negative, you know. So... Mm. That position to look into a mirror and go, I'm loved, I'm enough. You know, you kind of, you might say it, but you don't feel it. And this is, comes back to kind of what Paul Gilbert found is that we need to kind of inject um, compassion into it. So, um, mm. so I would be saying that you really need to feel it. And I wonder if that's that's what the, this guy that found the benefit in doing that is that you've got to kind of work on feeling it. it it there's got to have a motivation under it compassion is a motivation 
So yeah. I've got to I am enough. I've got to feel it and be motivated to want to feel that for myself. So you've got to engage your physiology. I could look in the mirror and go, I am great. I am brilliant. I am fine. You know, or I could look and go, I'm okay. And, you know, I could, I know a lot of the, there's lots of these loving, the loving kindness meditations out there. And a lot of them are American and for English people, I find that like, I can't connect with them. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, but like, I can't go, yeah, come on. I, you have to reframe it so that you, it works for you. So I, yeah. you know, yeah. I think of an example for myself, um, like if I do something wrong, I will kind of kind of go, you know, come on, that maybe isn't your finest hour, but, you know, we're all human and I can support myself gently. Mm-hmm. You soften it in a way that you can, it generates a motivation. You want yeah. to be completely motivated to care for yourself. I also think we know with gratitude that, that that's got really good evidence base around it, but it's actually, if you can imagine a time when you were really grateful or somebody was really grateful for something you did, that memory is very powerful. So that can trigger, I mean, it improves mood within a week, I think. But it's like, you know, like if you see something on the telly where, you know, a soldier gives a starving child food and you think about the gratitude that that child feels, that is very powerful for some memories, really vivid memories, flesh out. So we can think about what we're grateful for, but you can really supercharge it with gratitude. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. That that reminds me, um, a couple of things you reminded me of there. First and foremost, when you mentioned about the Americans, like I saw this guy on TikTok. I think he was a therapist himself and he was like, wake up every day, get in the mirror and scream, I'm an unstoppable force of, of the universe. And like... You know, yeah. his hands above his head and he's like, if you do this every day, you're sort of drilling it into yourself. And I was like, I we need to take a way of translating that. I just couldn't. We need a way of translating. We need like a, an English therapist to kind of say, okay, this is how we're going to do it over here. <laughs> you know? Doing English. But, um, yeah. <laughs> but like what, what you were just saying then reminds me of like, I used to use this like meditation app and um, it'd be like a different guided meditation every day. And I remember one of them, it was like, think of a, a random person in your life. You don't even know their name. And I thought of like, I've got an Audi by my house and there's like this woman that works in there. And it's like, wish nothing but like happiness mm-hmm. and, you know, health and everything just for that person. And just by doing that, I've, you know, I've barely interacted with this person ever. But just mm-hmm. by doing that, I finished the meditation and like, I could feel in my body, like it was good to just wish yeah. a random person just happiness and health, and that so was really powerful. Three, three flows of compassion There's um, that we need to be always kind of toning up, and that's compassion outwards. And then there's compassion inwards. Could you imagine her being compassionate and feeling nice towards you? Sometimes people are mm. like, oh, can do it outwards, but not to me. You know, I, you don't mm. mean that your compassion inwards is blocked, and that's not really good for our kind of well-being if we can't allow people to care for us. And then there's self-to-self compassion yeah. as well. Flows of compassion, but that is, you know, that is you generating a motivation. It's so much, so powerful, isn't it? It is. It is. I just thought, God, imagine if all of us just sort of spent five minutes in the morning just doing that for the day. Yeah, yeah. Like, probably treat each other a little bit differently, you know. 
Yeah, we would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we'd go through the world differently. Yeah. So with CBT, I mean, I know it's a very heavily researched form of therapy. Is is there anything in like recent years that has been sort of published that again like just supports how how much this can help someone? Like what what's the latest research on it and stuff? There's so much research that's coming out all the time. But you know, some of the things that for post traumatic stress, great research there that, you know, in terms of recovery rates for people, social anxiety, O C D, we know that it's as effective as medication for depression and reducing relapse rates as well so yeah That's there's powerful. research coming out that all the time and if you look at google scholarly is that scholar i think scholar yeah um yeah. On google, that that will throw up all the recent literature and stuff the nhs website links to some of the references as well but there's yeah it's it's you know the research continues yeah great stuff great stuff well look i think you've given us a pretty thorough breakdown of sort of cbt and how how it can help people you know i mean i've definitely learned a lot from it um cool. and i'm sure people listening you know if they're curious about how it could help them in anything they might be struggling with then hopefully they're a bit yeah. more open to it you know absolutely um, oh yeah Thank you for listening to As a Therapist. For more information about the CBT journal, visit my website at saradreese.co.uk. You can also sign up to download your free guide to building emotional resilience, delivered straight to your inbox. You will then also receive regular newsletters where I share my blog posts, podcasts, and tips and strategies for better mental health and psychological resilience. Don't forget to review and subscribe to the podcast, and you can also share episodes on social media using the hashtag AskTheTherapist. This episode was written and presented by me, Sarah Rees, and edited by Big Tent Media and produced by Emily Crosby Media.